Welcome to the Mustang UMC podcast recorded each Sunday morning during our 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. services. We invite you to join us in praise and worship during that time, and our hope is that this podcast serves as an encouragement for you and for your family in your daily life. to remain standing for the reading of God's holy word. Today it comes from Exodus chapter 22, verses 22 through 24. This is one of the ways in which we remind ourselves by standing and honoring God's word that we are people who are formed by God and by his truth today. Exodus chapter 22, verses 22 through 24. Do not take advantage of the widow or the fatherless. If you do, And they cry out to me, I will certainly hear their cry. My anger will be aroused and I will kill you with the sword. Your wives will become widows and your children fatherless. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You all may be seated. Let us pray. So Lord, we pray that your truth would reside with us. And Lord, even when texts don't always make sense to us, May we hear your word and may we obey your word. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I have with me a sword today. In case uh, I've never preached with a sword before, all right? Now, maybe the sword of the Spirit, but not a real actual sword. I am really not a a great person with weapons. Um, So I'm not going to use this, nor am I going to open it up. But this is a strange scripture, right? I mean, there's not very many times in which we hear the word of God and we say that God will kill us with the sword. Um, But that's what our scripture today says. I will kill you with the sword. It it makes me think, what in the world is God doing here? Why, Why this violent imagery? What is happening here? Why would God say this? And what does this tell us about God? What does it tell us about the nation of Israel? But also, what does it say about us? Grief is not a word. It is a process you go through. When someone you love is taken from you. Some days it is bearable. Most days it is not. You've got to learn to deal with it with your head as well as with your heart. Everything will remind you of things you used to do places you used to go and go no more. The Bridge Assembly of God, Primo's, Harry's, what you used to see, exploding fireworks, nephews laughing in the swimming pool, stormy weather, together. We cannot go shopping at the mall. Do you miss that at all? Visit Durango in the early fall. Go to Cancun together. Together? There is no more together. There is no more me and you. Only you. Now this strange scripture that we're in the midst of, I think we need to understand a little bit about the context and a little bit about the culture that would have been thousands of years ago in the ancient Near East to understand why did God say what he said and what does that mean for us today. So I want us to to take you back a few thousand years to understand what ancient Near East culture is like. 
Now, I don't think that there's any culture that's necessarily better. They're all just different. And one of the things that we're tasked to do is to try to understand the world of the Old and New Testament. And as we try to seek to understand the world of the Old and New Testament, we get in there and then we translate it for what does this mean for us today? So part of this world that lived a few thousand years ago, it was a different world, and it was a tribal society that was built sort of around um, families, and and they called this sort of the bet-ab. Now, this is a Hebrew word. I don't typically do Hebrew words, but every once in a while, I want to prove that I went to seminary, so I make them up, okay? Um, So this is the the bet-ab, which is the, the father's house. You may remember Jesus saying, you may have heard it in a funeral, in my father's house, there is many rooms. And there is this idea of the importance of the oldest living male. Now, part of of what that society was built upon was that oldest living male. And there was a few different components to it. One of it was that it was a patriarchal society. And what that means is that the oldest living male is at the core and the head of the family. He has the authority and responsibility to protect to defend, to discipline, and to provide for everyone in his betab. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about who all that will entail in a second. But it includes his servants and his livestock that this patriarchal society was centered on the oldest living male. Now, part of what happened would be that uh, having a son was a huge deal because that assured that there would be a next oldest male that would follow in to be able to take care of the family because it was a patrilineal society. Now what that means is the lineage passed from the, from the father to the son and the oldest son particularly. So I have, I have two children. I have Micah and Kason. Now if we were living in Old Testament days and when I passed away, Micah would get a double blessing. All right. He'd get twice as much as his younger brother. Now, the reason is not necessarily because I would love him more. It's because he had the responsibility to take care of everybody being the oldest living male in the family. Now, it was also patrilocal as well. And that means that the family and the living space is built around the oldest living male. And so what that would mean would be that if, uh, so my parents are here, my dad Chris and my mom Priscilla, so that whenever my wife and I would get married, we would move into the family compound and we would live with my dad, that everybody would live together in the family area. It would be the neighborhood, it would be the home, and we'd all be there together. Let me kind of give you an example of what this family would look like. So when I was born, this is what my family looked like. So there was my, and I'm going to take us as if we were living in the ancient Near East. So there would be my dad, and he married my mom, so she left her family, her betab, to join in with his. And they had two kids, all right? My older sister, Amy, but then also me. Now, here's the thing is in ancient Near East, it didn't matter that my sister would be older because I would have been the male who would have received the birthright because of that was the way that their society was, all right? And this, you can see, play out because uh, we're going to skip ahead for a while and then my sister gets married and I get married. And so my sister leaves, would leave the family and join a new betab, would join a new family, and my wife would join in to be part of this Betab, this family. She would live at the family compound. She would be taken care of by my dad. It was his responsibility to take care of all of us. Now, 
We've added to this family, and so we have two children. We have Micah and Kaysen. Now, we are a fortunate family because we would have had sons. Having a son would have been a big deal. Why was that? Not because men are better than women. It's because in that society and in that culture, men had the responsibility to care for the family. And so if something tragically would have happened to Micah, then we'd have another son that would be able to keep everybody taken care of. Now, of what would have happened had I been born a, a, a girl and it would have gotten married and left the Betab, then that would have left my dad and my mom in the household. And whose responsibility would it have been to take care of my mom if something happened to my dad? If I was not around and something happened to my dad, then who would take care of her? Step one, answer. Okay. Step two, answer. Okay. Step three, answer. Okay. I am not okay. I will never be okay again. But how else do you respond to? How are you? Well, I could say, my heart aches. My eyes cry. My life will never be the same again. It does they do. It won't. So how do I get past this? One step at a time. One day at a time. One week at a time. One step at a time. So we can see what happens in a family tree in the ancient Near East by looking at the book of Ruth. It gives us a story of what would happen if the males in a family were to die and how would this be taken care of. So I'm going to run through the book of Ruth for you real quickly. And so, in fact, the, the first character that we really kind of get to know of is actually a couple. There's Elimech and there is Naomi, and they are Israelites. And, and they get married and they begin to kind of live in this betab. But there is this... Um, there's this famine in this land. And so being the one that's to take care of the family, Elimic moves the family to the land of Moab. Now there, they are a blessed family, and they have two sons. And their two sons get married to a, a lady by the name of Orpah and a lady by the name of Ruth. And together, they all live at the family compound because this is the way it would have been done. But tragedy strikes this family. And so Elimic passes away. And both of their sons pass away, leaving no males who are responsible for the household, which means that these women, Naomi, Orpah, and Ruth, are alone and are outsiders. Not only do they deal with the grief of being a widow, but their structure of their society that will not take care of them. And so they're in Moab, and, and Naomi has a conversation with, with Ruth and Orpah and basically encourages them to go find a Moab husband and just live their life there, and she'll go back and just try to survive as long as she can in Israel. And so, so Orpah agrees and, and goes that direction, but Ruth has this beautiful uh, poem in the story and says, where you go, I will go. Your God will be my God. And just says, I'm going to be with you no matter what. And so they choose to go back to Israel. Now, why would they go back to Israel? It's actually because God has knew what the system was like and wanted to create a system in which widows and those who were outsiders would be taken care of. I think this is such an important part to understand is that God spoke into this culture, spoke these commandments that made sure that those who were outsiders would have an opportunity to 
survive and to live and even to be redeemed. And so one of the things that God did was he encouraged people, farmers, to leave the edges, to leave the margin of the fields for those who were on the margins of society, particularly the immigrants, those who were passing through, the sojourners, but also for the widows. And so in this story, we find Ruth and Naomi, and they go and they glean, they get the food that was left and made available for them in the story. Now, they do it intentionally to go at a place by the name of Boaz's field. Um, You know, I look back on my life and I think, you know, if I was to really fight for a name for our kids, Boaz would be a good one to fight for, right? It just sounds, I like the sound of that name. And so here, Boaz, um, he, he serves in this role as his kinsman redeemer. Now, what this means is the way, again, that God orchestrated and commanded this society to be because he didn't want people to be on the outside, was if there was a male in the line, He could marry somebody and bring them under his betab so that they would be taken care of. And so Boaz served as this kinsman redeemer. He married Ruth, bringing not only Ruth, but also Naomi under his betab, under his household, so that they would be taken care of and they would be good and healthy and in a place in which they would be safe. And so he served as this redeemer, somebody who brought the outsiders to become insiders. And so in that culture there, there were people who were on the outside, and one of those people were widows. And what we can see here clearly is that God takes care of them. I miss the warmth of being cuddled up to you, next to you at night. The feeling of your touch ever so light the sound of your voice that made everything right, the smile you brought to everyone in sight. I miss the fact that you fought with all your might until it was time to give up the fight so God could heal your body on new heights when he called you home forevermore. Now what I'm beginning to understand and continuing to learn is that Um, widows are still often on the outside of our society. I think one of the things that that drives our culture is productivity. You are what you produce. You are what you do. I remember talking to somebody who was recently retired, and, and one of the things that he said to me was, my phone doesn't ring. Nobody's asking for my opinion anymore. It doesn't feel like I have the same value that I used to. And oftentimes, as we deal with people who are widows, but also with those who are are homebound, they deal with this disconnection because of loneliness, because the world just keeps relentlessly moving on. And oftentimes, they are forgotten about. They are people who are on the outside, who God has called us to move towards. I was speaking with one of our homebound members this week. I I went to her house to to visit her, and, and while I was there, unprompted, Twice, and what, what she said just stuck out to me. She said, I'm bored. That's, what, that's it. She said, I'm just bored. She doesn't have the energy to get out and do things on her own very much. It saps all of her energy to make an outing. And so she just sits there watching the TV, reading a book, looking at the birds, and hoping somebody will come and just be present. And maybe it's part of our call of God today to just be present. Because it's easy for us to 
drive by a nursing home. It's easy for us to, to not ever wave to our neighbors who might be alone. It's easy for us to not call our family members who we know would love a call. And sure, maybe they'll talk your ear off. And sure, maybe going into that nursing home makes us feel a little uncomfortable. But this is part of what God's command is to us, is to go and to go. And these people not only are, are alone and forgotten because we keep moving forward, but there are also people who are dealing with great grief. Because if, if you've gotten to that place, you have lost some people. You might have lost a spouse. You might be a widow or a widower. You might have lost some children, but certainly the world has changed drastically, and there's, a, there's grief in your heart and in your life. About six months ago, I listened to a gentleman who was 82 years old preach a sermon, one of the best sermons I've ever heard in my life. He was telling the story about how he got married when he was an 18-year-old kid. That's what he said. Uh, he said, you know, we had figured everything out in life already at 18. And so him and his wife got married, and they were happily married for 62 years. And so when she passed away, suddenly at the age of 80, he didn't know what to do. He said, I've never been a single adult male in my life. I was a kid when we got married, he said. And then he said this line, and it just sticks with me. How do I walk on one leg when half of me is gone? How do I walk on one leg when half of me is gone? So this morning, you've been hearing Mary Patterson share some of her poems about what it's like to lose a spouse. That's not a situation I have gone through. And so I've, I, she gave me her poetry book that she had, had written when her um, spouse of 28 years, Dale, um, passed away. And I was just touched because I think there's an emotion that I can't convey, but that she was able to convey. And some thoughts and worldview that I haven't been able to see. Because again, our widows are not just people who are often forgotten by society at large. But they're also people who have gone through pain. And they need people just to be with them. And so I'm going to invite Mary to come up and just share one more. This is one of my favorites that she's written. It's called, What Do I Do With My Wedding Ring? What do I do with my wedding ring? I've worn it forever and always, it seems. Now that my husband is no longer around, though it's true, in heaven he can be found. What do I do with it? I feel undressed without it. Totally naked without it. So I'm actually living a lie, wearing it on the third finger of my left hand as always. Yes, I know he died. So what? Thanks, but you don't need to remind me of the cold, hard truth. I've worn my ring daily for almost 28 years, years of joyful, blissful happiness, few tears. My left hand looks weird without that mixed band of diamonds, silver, and gold. Actually, it grabs at my heart, my very soul, not to see it circled there. My heart cries out. Does anyone else care? When is it time to remove it forever? Better or worse? Richer or poorer? This certainly isn't better. What do I do with my wedding ring now that he's gone? Make it gone too? 
Do not take advantage of the widow or the fatherless. If you do, and they cry out to me, I will certainly hear their cry. My anger will be aroused, and I will kill you with the sword. Your wives will become widows, and your children fatherless. Why would God say these words to his people? Because they were his people. You see, the the story of Israel is that they were once people who were on the outside of society. They were slaves in Egypt. All day, every day, they dealt with making bricks for Pharaoh. They were outsiders. And they were people of great grief who didn't have an opportunity to grieve all that was going on. But what did God do? God heard their cries. The Israelites groaned in slavery and cried out, And God heard them. He remembered his promise, his covenant. And he came to rescue them. And so it was through him calling Moses in the burning bush. He he led the Israelites out of slavery and into freedom. Out of darkness and into light. And he gave them this opportunity. He blessed them with this thing so that they could be a blessing for the world. That was part of the original promise to Abraham, that they weren't blessed so that they would be better. They would be blessed so that they could be a blessing to others. And so God knew that widows and and others were going to be on the outside of society. And he said, if you're really going to be my people, then you're going to take care of those on the outside. If you're really going to be the people of God, if you're going to have this special blessing on your life, then prove it and live it taking care of those. And so God's commandments were a reminder that those on the outside are the ones that we're supposed to go to. One of these days, I'm hoping I get really old. And I'm hoping, not too terribly old, all right? But who knows what technology will be like. But I'm hoping that there will be people who choose to take care of me. Jesus said it this way, in the Sermon on the Mount. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. This is the way God wants the world to be. This is the way that he commands it to make outsiders insiders. My friends, I hope that none of us want to be forgotten, forsaken, alone, disconnected. But I know that God is calling us to move. And so there are some people who are certainly called to sort of a homebound or widow ministry. And maybe some of you are already doing that. You're visiting people in your family or you're visiting people in this church family. Maybe you're one of our Stephen ministers and you're connecting with people um, who've got some loneliness and some disconnection and they need somebody to walk alongside them. But I think there's a call of God on all of us to do one thing today. Which is I want you to take a little bit of time. And I'm, I'm going to invite God to bring a face or a name to our mind of who we are called to reach out to. It probably will be a widow, but it might just be somebody who is disconnected. And so we're going to take a little time, and I invite you to write this name down. Write it down. Put it somewhere so that you remember that today you've made a decision because of what God has done for you that you're going to hold seriously the commandment because if we don't hold seriously the commandment, I hope God doesn't take his commandment seriously. I think what God wanted to do with that was it was a higher purpose. He said, this is how important it is. It's life or death.
Let's be people who choose life. I'm gonna give you a little bit of time of silence. Lord, we're gonna invite Jesus to bring some people to our mind and then I'll close us in prayer. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to the Mustang UMC podcast. Once again, our services are at 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. every Sunday morning, and we would love to see you there. For more information about the Mustang United Methodist Church, please visit us at mustangumc.org or email us at office at mustangumc.org. That is office at mustangumc.org. We hope you enjoyed.